Thank you for tuning into It's Time for the Word podcast with Reverend Dr. John Perry II. On behalf of our senior pastor, we appreciate your continued support and generosity. Make sure you subscribe and download It's Time for the Word podcast from your favorite podcast platforms. Is there anybody hungry for the sound of heaven? Hallelujah. Come on, you ought to just whisper up into the atmosphere, God, I need to hear you. I need to hear you, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord. I need to hear you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Come on, begin to release that in the atmosphere. Father, I'm hungry for your word in the name of Jesus. I'm hungry for your voice, your guidance, your direction in the name of Jesus, Father. Hallelujah. Give me some symbols over there. Father, we need your sound in this place, Father. In the name of Jesus, bless you, Father. There's somebody that came needing to hear from God on today. They don't need church as usual. They don't need religious routine. But they need to hear the voice of God speak to their situation and their circumstance. And if we'll cultivate the right atmosphere, they'll be able to hear the Lord and get the breakthrough that they stand in need of. Father, we need to hear your sound in this place. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Speak to your people, Father, in the name of Jesus. Speak to circumstances, God. Speak a word of deliverance, God. Speak a word of breakthrough, Father, in the name of Jesus. To the soul that's been troubled and weary, God, we ask that you speak peace, God, in their space, Father, even right now. For those that are dealing with sickness and infirmity, God, we pray that heaven would speak and release healing, God, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Father, we need you. And we cry out, God, for your presence, for your authority, God, for your move in this place. Hallelujah. If you know God is a God that still speaks, won't you give him a great big praise right there all across the room? Hallelujah. He still speaks. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you don't mind, look at your neighbor and tell him God still speaks. You ain't got to try to figure out yourself. You don't have to try to manufacture your own word. God still speaks. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank God for the reality that he still speaks. I don't know about you, but that word all by itself, it encourages me. With all that you have to contend with from day to day, you need the assurance that God still speaks. There is no situation or circumstance that you go through that God will not give you a word for in the midst of your going through. The question is, will you have an ear to hear? I'm going to say that again. The question is, do you have an ear to hear? Because if you've got an ear to hear, God has a desire to speak. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know about you, but I've been blessed by the praise, the worship, and the fellowship um, thus far in this space. Um, it's a clear sign and evidence that God is still alive and on the throne. 
Amen. Anytime that you can run into the amount of love um, that you run into in this space and the type of sincere fellowship um, and union that we're experiencing, it's a sign that there is a God. Amen. Look at somebody tell them, that's not normal stuff. Amen. I'll qualify that for you. We live in a world of cold people. Amen. You can speak to people and they'll look at you like you done lost your mind. And so when you come to church and you're able to be embraced with love, care, kindness, um, and hearts that warmly and sincerely embrace you, it's a sign that God is not dead. He's still alive. And he's alive in me. He's alive in you. And every act of love is a manifestation of his power and his authority moving within the world. Hallelujah. Um, we have a wonderful, wonderful community of faith. Um, you're going to hear me say that a lot because oftentimes when you use the term family, um, people hear restriction. Um, and we want to be the kind of community that is open to embrace all people. Doesn't matter what your nationality is. Doesn't matter what your color is. Doesn't matter what your economic state is. We want you to know that anytime that you come to this place, you will run into open arms and the love of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So we pride ourselves on being a community of love that openly embraces all that are willing. Um, as Deacon Bacon shared with us on today um, about our commitment to Habitat for Humanity. One of the things that really was on my, on my mind as he sat there, our commitment to being a part of that process really affords someone with the opportunity of home ownership. And I want you all to really understand the big picture. Um, the pathway to personal wealth oftentimes begins with home ownership. Um, and Habitat for Humanity gives people the opportunity to purchase affordable housing and to enter into that pathway of home ownership so that they have the hope of building, here it goes, generational wealth, okay? And so we are a very important part, we play a very important part in that process. And so we're asking each of you, make the commitment um, to volunteering a little bit of your time. Um, I um, ask some questions, and if I, if I understand correctly, you get to choose the amount of hours that you are committed to volunteering. And so if you only can give an hour, give that hour. It's an important part of us doing our part in empowering people to have powerful, productive lives. Amen? Hallelujah. If you will, give God a big God bless you right there. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. Um, well, with that said, I'm going to call your attention to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. As you're finding your place there in the Word of God, our pastor emeritus and Deacon Jay are gone on vacation. Hallelujah. And they're headed off to Florida, um, and I'm extremely excited to hear that. Um, because they're in need of some rest and some relaxation. Um, we pray that you will continue to keep them in your prayers, um, keep them covered, um, because they're yet an active part of the work that God is doing here, and we need them healthy and strong 
um, so that they can be on the front line with us in fighting this spiritual battle that God has called us to fight as his children and people. First Kings chapter 19, when you found your place there, if you'll let it be known by standing um, for the reading of God's word. You, you heard it in our scripture reading, and yet I want to lift two verses before you. Verse 19 begins this way. It says, Elijah went from there. Elijah, Elijah went from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yokes of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen, ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elijah left him and went back, and he took his yoke of oxen, and he slew them. He burnt the plow equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out and followed Elijah and became his servant. I want to simply preach a time to kill, a time to kill. Father, we thank you now for the privilege of this moment we thank you, God, for the opportunity to sit at your feet and hear your word. Now, Father, our desire is to hear you with all clarity. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, help the word to make sense for our own personal journey so that we may bring more glory and honor to your name through how we live. It's all these things we pray now in the blessed name of Jesus Christ. And all the children of God said, amen, amen, and amen. You may take your seats in the presence of our living God and even the presence of your fellow believers. Hmm. Elisha left him and went back, killed those oxen, used a plow to cook the meat, and then he gave it to the people. And after doing that, he set out, found Elisha, and became his servant. On today, I don't want to sermonize. There's just a few things that God has put in my spirit on today, and I believe that he's calling in this moment for me to share them with you through this unique scripture that is before us. I think one of the things that we have to understand is just like a coin has two sides, it is that same way within this thing that we call life. Our world is full of beautiful contradiction. It's full of a duality of reality, if you will. Just like we have the height of the mountain, we have the depth of the mountain. Just like we bask in the beauty of the light, there is the reality of darkness. Just like we love moments of great pleasure, you can't get pleasure without having the reality of pain. 
so uniquely what the text is introducing to us um, as we move towards the text is this duality that we have to contend with as we manage what we call life. I think you would better understand it if I gave you some practical examples. And so it is the person who's sitting there watching TV and TV paints for them the beauty of relationship. And so they begin to think to their self, I want a relationship. It's the person that sits from the outside and sees a moment that is so beautiful um, as they behold two couples enjoying the moment of beauty in their relationship. And so they eagerly run to embrace a relationship, not understanding that the beautiful moment that they saw is full of tough management before you ever get to the moment of beauty that they beheld. It's the young athlete that says, I want to be a professional athlete. And then when they finally get there, they have the short time span of being a professional because they had not taken in consideration the daily gruesome task of training and all of the travel that made their, would make their life anything but normal. And so it is also within the body of Christ. We hear the promise of a better life. We hear the promise that Jesus came that I may have life and have it more abundantly. And with him, all things are going to be better. We have sold that part of the coin. But most of us don't understand that the abundant life that Jesus Christ speaks of, it also includes that you've got to be willing to give up your life. That, that you do not enter into the resurrected life without also walking through a form of your own death. And so while he promised you life on one hand, on the other hand, he says, but you've got to be willing to die. There is a duality to the reality of what we call life. And it is naive for us to think that we can receive one end without having to contend with the. As we approach this text, we see that reality emerging within the text. For those that have followed the account of Elijah, who is the senior prophet and premier prophet of his day, Elijah has just went through um, a battle with the prophets of Baal. God has used him in a mighty way to show up these false prophets of Baal and to discount their God called Baal. And after doing this, Jezebel begins to send a message that just like you have destroyed my prophets, may it be done to me if I don't do the same to you. And he runs to a wilderness place. And it's at that wilderness place that he says to God, God, I'm done with it. I'm tired of the fighting. I'm done with it, God. Take my life. I'm ready to be taken because I can't deal with it anymore. And I don't know about you, but that is perplexing to me. 
It's perplexing at first read because this man only knows victory. And after all of the victory that he has had, he now sits in a wilderness place crying out to God saying, God, I'm tired of it. I'm taking you there before getting to the text because it's important for you to understand that he's dealing with the duality of victory. That with every victory, it means that I've had to fight. And even though I have a resume that is long with victory, that victory means that I've had to fight over and over and over. And God, I'm tired of always having to fight. I don't know who I'm talking to in here, but that's been somebody's testimony unto the Lord. Lord, I'm tired of always having to fight. But I came by to tell you that you cannot say to God, I'm done with it. You cannot quit because God still has a purpose and a plan for your life. He cries out, the cry that so many of us cry out, God, I'm tired of fighting. Yes, you've given me victory, but I didn't know that that victory would come with the other side. A vicious, consistent fights. So God shows up to him and God tells him um, that I want you to go in a final assignment. I'm going to grant your request. I'm going to take you out of here. But before I take you out of here, there's some people that I need you to anoint to continue the assignment. Stop right there because there's something I need for you to catch in that, that. That even though he's ready to go, God's anointing does not go. That even though the man that God is using in the moment has decided that he's ready to cash out, God says there's still a work that I've got to do. And so I've got to find a new person for the anointing to rest on because I'm still working within the earth realm. And I don't know about anybody else, but that makes me smile. I'm glad to know that when people get tired of the work, that God is not tired, that God continues to work. And if he's got to find something somebody else to do the work that another no longer wants to do God will find somebody else so he asked the charge to go and find Elisha and to anoint him as the next prophet Elisha is working in the field tending his father's sheep I'm attending his father's oxen his father's field and so Elijah has to find him where he is because Elisha does not know that God has called him and purposed him for this assignment. Catch it. There's a conversation being held about Elisha that Elisha has no idea about. He's so busy doing the work of tending the field that he's assigned to that he doesn't know that God is in the heavenlies releasing a word down to earth that he is my next chosen one. 
I need for somebody to catch that on today because I got a strange feeling that heaven is having a conversation about you that you have no idea about. Look at somebody tell them heaven's talking about you. The prophet that got the word has to find him where he is and that's in the field. Now, there's some things that the Word of God will help us to understand about Elisha, who the Lord now wants to appoint as the next prophet, and that, that, are, that is important for you to get. And through a casual read of the scripture, most of us miss the context that the Bible gives us for understanding his character. He is in the field working, first thing. He is a worker. He's not somebody sitting up in the house with his feet kicked up watching the football game. He's a man who understands the value of hard work. Now, I want to push that because the text says that he has servants that are plowing with him. And even though he has servants, he is working alongside of the servants that are employed to do the work. He's a hard worker, but not only is he a hard worker, he's a person of humility because he doesn't have to do it. He says, I'm willing to roll up my sleeves and walk alongside of you. Can we put it on pause right there? God, thank you for leaders that understand that being a leader is not just my position, but I'm called to roll up my sleeves and work beside those that I am called to lead. I don't just heave out orders. I serve as a partner in the work. He shows a spirit of humility. But catch it, lest we miss it. He has 12 oxen. He's plowing the field. It says as well that he is a man of substance. He's not someone at the low end of the echelon of life. No, he is a man of wealth, a man of weave, of means. He has a field, he has oxen, and he has servants. That gives us a, a general picture of Elisha, the one that God now is about to appoint. The Bible says that Elijah, he, he crosses over. He, he comes off the pathway of the road over into the field and he puts his cloak on Elisha. Lord, I love your word. God has a plan for his life. And God says to the premier prophet, even though it means that you got to come off of the path of the road into the field where he is, I need you to go to where he is because he's a chosen one. God can find you wherever you are. He's just faithful like that. He puts his cloak on him. And here's what the Bible paints for us, that when the premier prophet puts his cloak on the young man that is working in the field, it, he's shocked. He, he stops, but Elijah, the premier prophet, he keeps on walking. Elisha, he, he stops over shock regarding what is happening to him. 
Another man has showed up in my space and he's putting his mantle on me. And he stops, but the prophet keeps on walking. There's stuff God told me to do. I I don't got time to stop right now. I just came to put my mantle on you, but there's others that I've got to go and anoint. And it's right here that I need for you to understand what's happening. It is a ceremonial act when he puts the cloak on Elisha. It is him authorizing spiritual rank and authority. Even though you're here in the field, even though you're in a lowly place, even though you're not in a premier position, God has chosen you. And God has said you're supposed to have spiritual rank and authority. And when it happens to him, he's shocked. Because he wasn't expecting the visit of Elijah. Catch it. Elijah is the one that spoke to heaven and said it will not rain until I give a word. And heaven shut up and rain ceased. And there was a drought in the land at his word. Elijah is the one that took on many prophets as one prophet and the the heavens consumed them. He's heard the stories of Elijah. And now Elijah is putting his mantle on him. And he's frozen in awe. But Elijah keeps on walking. It's then that he has to shake himself out of it. And the Bible says he runs to catch up with him. And he said, I'll follow you. And it's right here that I've been trying to get you to because there's some things that I think that is very important for us to grab. Notice what the text says. It says that Elijah found Elisha and he put his mantle on him. We're in a generation where people chase mantles. Not understanding that you can't chase a mantle. God's got to give you the mantle. The Bible expresses to us that God found who he wanted and gave to who he wanted what he wanted. We got to deal with this new day spirit. This new day spirit where you see somebody being used by God and then you want to claim that office for yourself. He's been chased down by the call. He has the mantle. But notice what the text declares. He is not just a man of substance. He's a man of wisdom. He says, I'm not content with the mantle. I need to lay hold to the man. Don't give me your mantle without letting me have access to you. Because I need to know how to manage the mantle that I've just been given. And I'm afraid that we're in an hour where the devil has tricked us into believing that we don't need people. We want positions even in the church without understanding every position should come with a person that has the ability to share with you their wisdom, their knowledge, so that you can manage the position right. 
He has the mantle, but he's not content with the mantle. He says, don't just leave me with the mantle. I need the man. It brings to mind for me um, the, 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 the foolishness that we find going on in this current time. The Bible tells us stuff like that, like the older women of the church that they should groom, they should nurture, they should counsel the younger women of the church. How are you going to claim you want to be a wife? And never sat at the feet of another woman that has successfully been a wife. There has to be a value for not just the position, but for persons that can tutor us in how to manage the position the right way. I didn't know I would have so much silence in here on today. He says, I've got the mantle, but the mantle is not enough. I need a meaningful connection of covenant with the man. So he runs and he chases after him. Who is it that God has anointed for you to run and chase after? Watch his language. After running to catch him, he says, I'll serve you. He's looking for an entry point. He's looking for a point of access into divine covenant. And he understands there's nothing about me that, that, makes, that makes me so great that he should just let me in his space. So what he says is, I'll serve you. Because he has the wisdom enough to know that if I serve him, I will be served in return. Because as I'm serving him, I'll be shaped by the wisdom of his walk. I'll be shaped by how God uses him. I'll be shaped by the things that I see. I'll serve you. When was the last time you offered to serve somebody else? Because you understood the value that comes from service. It is here again that we're getting a lesson in the duality of reality. That that when I want to when I want to be a person of, of, of great value, that oftentimes it requires me to serve someone of great value. Because their value then becomes transferred to me through the humility to serve somebody else. Y'all still ain't caught me, and so let me see if I can take you down memory lane. For any of you that had good grandmamas, and when you were little kids, the grandmama would tell you, come in this kitchen and help me. I'm about, I'm about to cook. She understood that when she told you, come in this kitchen and help me, that it was going to be a lesson in how to cook, because in the future, you would have to know how to cook for yourself. For those of you that had good men in your life, they would tell you, boy, come out in this yard and help me in the yard. They were trying to get you to assist them because they knew one day you would have to grow up and do it for your own family and household. He understands that service is how I can have access to a covenant with him because the mantle is not enough. Let me see if I can land this and bring it, bring it, bring it, bring it to where you are. The position 
it's not enough. You're busy filling out resumes, trying to climb the corporate ladder, but the position is not enough. You need a person that can walk you into the revelation and the wisdoms that they've already learned so that you can manage properly the position. He puts his mantle on this young chosen prophet, and there's a desire. That's kindled in him. Everybody shout desire. There ought to be somebody that, that crosses paths with you that kindles the flame of desire and passion on the inside of you. He puts his mantle on him and there is a fire that arises in this young chosen prophet that causes him to run after the senior prophet and say, I will serve you. Desire. He's showing us the desire, and that's important for you to grab because his desire now will dictate his direction. There's something that he has been doing all of his life and that the text introduces us to as the thing that his life is committed to. But when he comes across the path of the senior prophet who puts his mantle on him, a flame of desire is built up in him which will dictate his direction. Your desire is so important because your desires will determine your direction in life. What desires do you have raging on the inside if you tell me your desire I'll tell you what your direction is going to be I don't have to figure out your direction all I have to do is discern the desire of your heart that's a part of the reason David stands up and say creating me a clean heart because there's some desires on the inside of me that have me running in directions that don't necessarily honor you. We talk a lot about what you desire from God, but can we talk about the desire that's in your heart? Because it's that desire that dictates your direction. Here's a rhetorical question, but something that I want you to ponder on. Are my desires leading me in the wrong direction or the right direction? The desire is kindled for the thing that he's called to. And so it dictates his direction. He runs to the prophet and he says to the prophet, I'll follow you, but let me go back and kiss my father goodbye. To his request, the senior prophet says, go back. What have I done to you? In other words, I put my mantle on you because God has chosen you. I'm not trying to dictate to you. Do whatever you see fit to do in your heart. He, he runs back. We could talk about what Jesus said about putting your hand to the plow and looking back. We could talk about the fact that Jesus instructed in his teaching, let the dead bury the dead. We could talk about the fact that when one asked Jesus that, that, that let him go back and tell his parents goodbye, that Jesus told him, no, come follow me. 
But in this case, Elijah says, do what you want to do. He goes back and he does something that blows my mind. He says that my desire is not just a fleeting, fickle moment. Whew. I wish I had time because I would talk about fleeting, fickle desire from people that claim to be committed to God. Desires that don't take them past a month. Desires that don't take them past six months or past a year. He, he, he goes back and he's about to show the seriousness of the roaring flame of desire that's on the inside of him. Because the text says that when he goes back, it says nothing about kissing daddy. It says that when he goes back, he immediately kills the oxen. Lord Jesus, tell, tell, tell somebody it's time to kill the oxen. He, he, he goes back and he kills the oxen. And it's right here that I need for you to understand killing the oxen means making a definitive and irreversible choice to leave behind your previous life or identity in order to fully commit to the new path that God has called you to. Did you hear what I just said in here? When he kills the oxen, he is declaring unto God, this is my definitive, irreversible commitment to you. I'm leaving behind everything that I knew in former years in order to fully follow you and commit to you. I'm killing the oxen. I want to suggest to you that a part of the problem that we have with, with this current modern day group of believers, I'm not just talking about you, I'm talking about believers all across the world. A part of the problem is that we sold you better life without sacrifice. We told you you could get Jesus, but you didn't have to sacrifice nothing. We told you that you could get Jesus, but you could hold on to your old life, and you could still hold on to Jesus. And so because of that, you're stuck somewhere in the middle being pulled back and forth, and your whole spiritual journey has been a seesaw. And what he's painting the picture for us of is someone who understood that what I'm being called to requires that something has to die. It is an amazing revelation to me. He is the God that gives life, but he is the God that honors death. I want to give you life. So will you put some death on it? Do you want what I'm offering in this hand enough that you're willing to give up what you got in the other hand? It is what Jesus Christ told us when he was teaching his disciples and he said if a man holds on to his life, he's going to lose it. But if he's willing to lose his life, he will gain life. And can I suggest to you the struggle of our Christian journey in trying to have Christian health is all wrapped up in that reality? There's stuff that God has been convicting your heart about that has to die, and yet you've been trying to hold on to it. There's somebody in here that's been crying, God, I really want you to usher me into my relationship. I want my Boaz, but you keep on holding on to the... No, I broke up with him. But every time 
the convenient moment comes around. Then he calls you and says, hey, what you doing? You know, I was just thinking about you. I remember that moment. And your refusal to kill it disqualifies you for the thing that God has before you. What is your oxen? I, I, I've, been, I've been in full-time ministry since 19, so your silence doesn't intimidate me. No, no, you, you sit there and be, be silent, and I'll be your psychologist. What is your oxen? What is it that God's been speaking to your heart that has to die? But if you're honest with yourself, I still have not killed it. He goes back and he says, I'm about to show this prophet how definitive my decision is. I'm going to kill my old life so that I can only have the hope of a new life. Ooh, thank you, Jesus. He says, I'm going to rid myself of options. And for this next thing that God wants to do in your life, you got to rid yourself of options. The devil is banking on the fact that you'll leave options. But when you've made up your mind for show, for show, I don't need options because my mind is made up and my heart is fixed. And I'm wondering in this room, do I have anybody that can declare that my mind is made up and my heart is fixed? And there's no other options for me. I'm riding with Jesus and I'm riding with him until the wheels fall off. He kills the oxen. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you think like me. Um, I'll share the thought and, and you could tell me your, your thoughts on the matter. But it seems like to me if he's going to kill the oxen and now he knows he's about to travel, at least pack up the meat. I mean, you know, surely we're going to need to eat while we, we, we out here in this wilderness territory. But, but he kills the oxen, he cooks the meat, and he gives it to other people to eat. He says, not only am I kidding, killing it, but I'm ridding myself of the remnants of the memory of it. I've got to rid myself of the remnants of the memory of yesterday because if I'm not careful, I'll be in a new day stuck thinking about yesterday. So, so he feeds it. Here, eat this, eat this. I have no more use for it. Eat this, eat this. And I know you think I'm just talking, but I promise I'm going to come down your aisle right quick. Why you still got Pookie Jersey? Why are you still holding on to pictures? He treated me like a dirty dog, and I ain't got nothing else to do with him. But in that little drawer, you still got pictures tucked away. You got to get rid of the remnants of yesterday so that you can fully embrace the today that God has called you to. He, he declares that I have no need for it. And when he kills this oxen, it is his 
way of declaring I'm decreeing death to the past. And there's somebody in here that needs to say on today I'm making the decision that I'm decreeing death to my past. There's some stuff that my yesterday wants to hold me bound to. There's some stuff that my yesterday wants to imprison and cage me in. But on today I'm declaring that the me that I used to be I am committing to death and I'm walking in the newness of what God has called me to. He shows us that he's willing to sacrifice his former life so that he can embrace the spiritual call that he has on his life. And I know for some of you right there, you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not called to be a prophet. But it's important for you to understand that Jesus has put the call out to all of us to follow him and to be disciples and so if I'm going to embrace the call to discipleship there has to be something on the inside of me that says I'm willing to die to who I was yesterday I count this opportunity to walk with him to talk with him to hold his hand as being great enough and worthy enough of me sacrificing the me that I was on yesterday so don't get mad at me if I don't want to sit on the phone with you for two hours. That was who I was yesterday. I ain't got time on today to sit around and gossip. I ain't got time to sit around on the phone and talk about nothing because he's called me to a different space. He's called me to higher heights. But catch it. When he sacrifices these oxen, it is a symbolism that I put my full dependence on he who has called me. Because if he called me, he has responsibility for keeping me. And so no longer will my life be dictated by the materialism of my occupation. Now, hear what I'm saying to you. I am not telling you money is not important. I'm just telling you God is more important. And there comes a point where God begins to call to you that your dependence is not on your job. Your dependence is not on the materialism of this life. And you take a stand that I'm going to depend upon God above all else. And that is what he is declaring to the prophet. When I said I want to follow you, I was for real, for real. It was not some loose statement that came out of a fleeting moment of emotion. No, I'm so serious that there's some stuff I'm willing to crucify in order to walk with you. So catch it. The mantle comes on him. It ignites a flame of desire on him, in him and it begins to dictate his direction and because it dictates his direction he makes a definitive decision that some stuff has to die and it's got to die now this moment is fleeting I don't have time to play with yesterday you die and you die now so that I can embrace now what God is calling me to it is a statement that the destiny that God has decided for me, I will fully embrace. Can I suggest to you that there's a destiny that God 
has designed for you? I know that there are a whole bunch of people in the room, but I need for you to get them out of your head right now. Get them out of, of your, your side preview and, and, and lock in on what I'm saying. There is a destiny that God has designed for you. But that destiny requires that you make a definitive decision that who I was yesterday will not interfere with who God is calling me to be today. I'm done, but I really want you all to catch this. Here's a wonderful example for you to just digest and, 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 and mirror this off of. When God calls Saul, I mean, he's been persecuting the church. Now, God knocks him off of the beef and beast, uh, uh, the beast on the road, uh, 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 on the street called Straight, and he tells him, I've called you. Why are you persecuting me? It's, why are you kicking against the prick? And he has to make a decision. Will I embrace the one who is calling me despite the fact that I was persecuting his church? Watch how great of a contradiction that is. I was persecuting people, arresting them, killing them for naming the name of Jesus Christ. And now, Jesus, you want to show up and tell me that you called me to minister to the church? And he has to make a decision that who I was is not greater than who I'm called to be. Who I was will not restrict me into the clarity that I'm hearing right now regarding the assignment that he's calling me into. And there's some of you that are in that same place. You keep on thinking about who you was. And today God just says, kill it and walk with me into what you're called to be. It's a time to kill. We hope this message was a blessing and motivation to enjoy your day. We appreciate you listening too. It's time for the word. Make sure you visit www.pgc-carry.org for more podcasts and Pleasant Grove updates. Be blessed.